welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. When the Trump administration appears at the Supreme Court, it's represented by the Solicitor General's office. You can think of them sort of as the government's Supreme Court legal team. And this past term, the federal government's lawyers did post a better record than last term in cases in which it was a party, but it still barely passed the 50-50 mark, winning 12 cases and losing 10. Joining me is Josh Blackman, a professor of constitutional law at the South Texas College of Law. His new book is called Unraveled, Obamacare, Religious Liberty, and Executive power. So Josh, this isn't just the Trump administration. It's a decades-long slide for the Solicitor General. Can it be explained by the kinds of cases, the quality of the lawyers, or something else entirely? Well, thanks for having me back. Um, The U.S. government has an office called the Solicitor General, and this is usually a lawyer and his staff who are trained to practice only before the U.S. Supreme Court. And for decades, the U.S. government had a bit of a monopoly. They were the only ones who had this sort of specialized practice. Um, But over the last two or three decades, private law firms have begun to staff up and become competent to argue before the Supreme Court. Uh, Indeed, a lot of these law firms will hire uh, outgoing Supreme Court clerks, uh, and the competition is fierce. Believe it or not, they pay bonuses up to $300,000 or more for someone fresh out of a clerkship in the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. It's extremely competitive. And they do this to be able to go head-to-toe, uh, or I guess head-to-head with the government, and they're starting to actually win a lot more cases at the high court. So the numbers of wins when the the government is a party to the case is contrasted to the record of 22 wins and six losses when the government just takes a position in a case, despite not being a party, as an amicus or a friend of the court. How do you account for that difference? Well, if you think about it, um, the government can pick and choose when they want to be friends of the court, what's called an amicus curiae. Uh, But they can't choose when someone else drags them to court, right? So let's say someone sues the federal government the lower court rules for the federal government, and then the plaintiff appeals, that means the Supreme Court is likely going to reverse the government. So when the government can pick and choose their cases, their win-loss record is much better. Uh, When they're being dragged to court involuntarily, they have a much bigger chance of losing. So now uh, the Obama administration had one of the worst records in modern history as far as the success of the Solicitor General. So is, is there anything, any correlation between the, for example, how conservative a president is and, and whether a Supreme Court is conservative or liberal? Any correlation at all in that respect? Uh, you're exactly right. When you have a very liberal administration, for example, the Obama administration, and a somewhat conservative court, uh, which is a Roberts court, uh, the Obama administration is going to lose more. Um, The Trump administration has fared perhaps a little bit better than the Obama administration, but I think that's more of a factor that the court matches the Trump administration's ideology. So you do have to match up the win-loss record based on who's judging and who's arguing. Uh, It's not always a uh, straight-up fair contest. 
So I found this really interesting. Of the current justices, not including the newest two justices, only justices Clarence Thomas, Stephen Breyer, and Samuel Alito mostly vote in favor of the government. That's according to Imperial SCOTUS's Adam Fellman. And Breyer just barely meets the threshold. He votes for the government about 54% of the time. How do you account for those three justices agreeing with the government? Well, those justices tend to be a little bit more deferential to the government, and they're less skeptical of federal power in certain contexts. Uh, Justice Breyer, in particular, uh, worked in the Senate for many years. He was a staffer for Senator Ted Kennedy for, for some time. So I think Justice Breyer, in particular, has a very strong affinity to letting the democratic process work its way out. Um, the other justices might be more skeptical of how the government operates, and they might rule against the government more often. So you mentioned the, the private attorneys being one of the factors who are experts. Um, this term, just five private D.C. attorneys argued in a quarter of the Supreme Court's cases, each argued about four or five times the term. Is there something to be said for the justices knowing these lawyers and perhaps trusting their legal reasoning over the years? That's a very good point. Um, a lot of these attorneys are what we call repeat players, where they argue before the court over and over again. And the justices build a familiarity with them and, indeed, a trust. They know they can count on them to give them fair arguments, a good, re- a good record of facts, and don't try to pull any funny business. <laughs> I think that really helps. Um, several of the justices have said they don't like newbies arguing. They want someone they know, which uh, isn't very good uh, uh, advice for someone starting out from scratch but suggests that they prefer the specialized Supreme Court bar um, as, as, this, as this group is known. Yeah, it's, it's tough enough to appear at the Supreme Court without having that hanging over you. So you've, you've written a book on executive power. In cases involving executive power, this term, if, if there, were, there were some, I believe, how did the government fare? The biggest case, this term about executive power, was the census case. You might recall that the Trump administration uh, wanted to add a question to the, uh, to the census about, are you a U.S. citizen? Um, and this was a, a rare instance where the court held that the government could add this question. It wasn't illegal. But that the reason the Secretary of Commerce gave was not the real reason. And Chief Justice Roberts perhaps suggested if he gave us the real reason, you would have won. Uh, but now we know that there wasn't enough time to go back and print the forms again. Um, so we're stuck with it. But this was a huge defeat for the executive branch, a huge defeat, because this was a central uh, 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 plank of President Trump's executive agenda. Even though Justice Roberts said that, you know, he left it open, if there had been time, they could have come back if they had a different reason. Yeah, I mean, Roberts knew what we all knew, and the government <laughs> said the deadline was June 30th, and that was the deadline. The deadline came and went, and that was it. And there was no time to do a, a new printing of the forms. Mm-hmm. So um, turning to criminal cases, which there are always a, a lot of, why is the court generally skeptical of the government in criminal cases? Traditionally, conservatives uh, were very deferential to the government in criminal matters. That has changed over the last 20 years or so, and I give credit to Justice Scalia. Um, Justice Scalia was as conservative as they come, but he was always very much concerned about the rights of defendants, that is, those accused of crimes. I think this was based on his reading of the Constitution and how our, how our framing began, which was a fear of an overreaching 
uh, king of England who would often lock people up without giving them process. Um, and for that reason, even the court's conservatives, Justice Gorsuch, Justice Thomas, to a lesser degree, um, they're skeptical when the government tries to advance a new reading of federal law that affects the rights, liberties, and uh, properties of people. Well, it, it's, it's fascinating when you look at the numbers after the term. And thanks so much for your insights. That's Josh Blackman. He's a professor of constitutional law at the South Texas College of Law. And his new book is Unraveled, Obamacare, Religious Liberty, and Executive Power. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.